If you've got a Bible, you can start finding Acts chapter 10. That'd be a good place to uh, start, because that's where we're looking at this morning. Acts chapter 10. But don't worry, the words will be on the screen if you haven't got a Bible with you. It was good to sing that song that uh, Andy introduced this morning. And interestingly, in this week's Journey newsletter, uh, Gavin has written a piece about that song and about that word, reckless, because it can mean all sorts of different things, can't it? And we just have to be very careful with words we sing. It's important what we're singing. And lest we think of that word reckless and think that God's loving somehow is irresponsible or out of control, those two things don't equate to God's love. But what is it about God's love that makes it look reckless? It looks like a shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep to go after the one. That's what Jesus said. It looks reckless, doesn't it? It's not reckless in one sense. It's not irresponsible. It's not, it's not, it looks foolish. It looks foolish, doesn't it? Paul talked about that. It looks, it's the foolishness of God. It looks foolish. It looks reckless. But, so what is it? So we can sing that song and know, God, why, why is it that your love, look, your love for me, almost to an outsider, looks reckless? But I know it's not. That's not responsible. It's wonderful. It's an amazing thing. So it's a good song. Wonderful song. And look out for Gavin's little piece in the journey this week. Okay, so Acts, we are carrying on our series looking at the, really the birth of the early church. Um, and uh, this morning we're in uh, chapter 10 and uh, talking of long stories. That's what uh, Raj brought to us this morning. We've got a long story this morning, but don't worry, I've tried to just kind of summarize it a little bit so it doesn't feel long. Uh, let's have a look at this, um, this story, this account At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear, as you would. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel spoke to him, When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. 
The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. God speaks to Peter and tells him to go with the men. And so let's go to verse 23. Then Peter uh, invited the men in to the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived at Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While, Pe- while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? And then Cornelius explains what has happened, and we'll skip down to verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who's Lord over all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We're witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead and on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, that just means the Jewish believers, the believers that have been from the Jewish faith, had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, that's the non-Jews, For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They've received the Holy Spirit, just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. I'm sure you're aware of significant moments um, in life that happen that kind of change everything, sometimes good, sometimes bad. Moments where you realise things won't be the same. We're, we're moving into World Cup season, so I can use this example. 
But uh, I remember as, a, as a, a young boy, my dad had moved the TV out into the garden so that we could watch the England-Argentina match in the World Cup. And watching Maradona handball that ball into the net and thinking, this has changed everything. We will be seen in a different light because of this, because of the injustice that has happened to us. And then a few years later, and perhaps a bit, little more seriously, watching on TV the Berlin Wall coming down and uh, seeing, not, not really knowing all the details as a, as a young lad, but realising this, this seems significant. People are very ecstatic about this wall that divided a nation, that divided even more than a nation, divided a whole kind of communist block and, uh, and watching after that the um, uh, communism fall um, across Europe and Russia. This seemed like a significant moment. Well, this that we've read this morning is a significant moment in the early church. A really important moment, this encounter that we've read. See, the focus up to now has been the Jewish people. It's been... Um, it's been, and that, that kind of makes sense because, well, Jesus was a Jew. Jesus lived amongst the Jewish people. He served and lived there. He met a few non-Jews in his lifetime, but not many. And um, that's the context that he served in. And the Christian church had been, at that point, made up of Jews, Jewish believers, Jesus' followers. And they were starting, just starting to see changes to that. So Philip had gone to Samaria and he'd also shared, as we heard a few weeks ago, with an Ethiopian official. He'd shared Jesus with him. But now we've got Cornelius. He's a centurion in the Roman army. He's, a, a, he's a, an important soldier. He's not a Jew. He says he's a God-fearer. Does that, mean, that means he'd embraced some of the, the Jewish faith. He'd kind of looked and said, okay, I like this bit. I can take this bit. I can do this bit, but I'm not going this far. And he has a vision. He sees an angel of God. He says to him, go and get Peter. Peter's having some time at the seaside. Joppa is kind of on the coast. And uh, the next day, while Peter's having his time at the seaside, he has a vision. And uh, he sees like a large sheet being lowered animals that he's told on it to kill and eat. And we have to assume that these are animals that were forbidden in Jewish law to eat because they somehow made you impure, they were unclean, they were not to be eaten by the people of God. And his reply is, surely not, Lord. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. He hears the voice say, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. See, this is not simply God saying to Peter, look, it's okay, Peter, now you can eat everything. That means it's going to be much easier for you in the shops, isn't it? When you go down the aisles, you will know, oh, I don't have to go to the, uh, the, the clean aisle. I can go to, oh, that make it much easier for you when you're deciding what to eat. He is saying you can eat everything, but, it, but it's much bigger than that. He's saying you can eat with Gentiles, non-Jews, those who you have seen 
as unclean. This is a massive deal. But to most of us, we don't really understand it. We don't really get how big a deal it is because for us, eating has become less of a big deal. We'll throw some toast down our mouths as we rush out of the door to work. Or we'll eat our tea on a tray in front of the TV. There's nothing wrong with those things. <laughs> That's fine. But many, of, many people from other nations here will be saying, no, no, eating is more than that. It's more. Eating with someone is like showing them honour. Eating with someone is like accepting them. It's got massive, massive... Don't you see the massive meaning they'll be saying to us right now? It's about friendship. You look at, that's why people got really annoyed with Jesus when he ate with um, uh, um, sinners. What's he doing eating with these sinners? Oh, he's clearly... Does he not know they're sinners? And he's spending time with them? Well, at least for them, they were Jewish sinners. But now, Peter's being told, no, no, you can eat with Gentiles. They were unclean. They lived unclean lives. They ate richly unclean food, and if you go and eat with them, they'll make you unclean. They'd even built up a tradition that said they shouldn't enter the house of a Gentile, because even that'll make them unclean. Look, there needs to be a barrier between the people of God and Gentiles. But you know, through this, through this encounter, God breaks down that barrier. Breaks it down. The gospel message of Jesus would be for everyone. Because that was always God's plan. It was always his plan. Listen, this is, it, he had chosen the Jews for a purpose. This is Isaiah 49, verse 6. This is from the Old Testament. It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I've kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. That's the gospel message. That's the good news of Jesus. It's for everyone. It's for everyone to hear. See, that's good news for us. We're Gentiles. We're, we're, we're non-Jews. We're, we're, none of us, I suspect, are ethnic Jews. But the gospel has come to our island. Or it's come to your nation. The gospel went to Persian people. The gospel went to Ethiopia, Eritrea. The gospel has gone to uh, Tanzania or uh, across Europe. Come to our nations. It's good news. But, but for the Jews, they had kind of turned being chosen in this way into some kind of favoritism. And it kind of turned into a kind of despising of other peoples. In fact, it was almost as if they were filled with some kind of racial pride and hatred of others. And this wasn't a new thing either. Actually, this had been happening for hundreds of years too. Peter 
is in Joppa. And he has this vision. Does anyone else, does anyone know where Joppa appears in the Bible as well? Jonah? Yes, yes. In the Old Testament, there's a story about Jonah. God speaks to him and says, go to Nineveh. Go and tell them about God. Go and tell them about me. Go and, go and tell them about that I'm... I'm go and tell them I, I detest what they are like and tell them about who I am. And, and Jonah says, no, I'm not. And he pegs it the other way. And he ends up in Joppa, um, trying to get a boat somewhere else, as far from Nineveh as he can. Why would I want, why would I want those horrid people in Nineveh to hear that you're a compassionate God? They might repent. They're horrible. They're unclean. They're filthy. They're our enemies. I'm off the other way. And he pegs it to Joppa. I wonder how often we do the same. See, they're not like us. Jesus would not show his compassion to them. Those, those chavvy kids in the park, that drug addict, that rich family in Wynyard, that single guy from Sudan looking for asylum here in this nation, that gay couple in our street, See, God does not show favoritism. But me, I can be a little bit more exclusive, if I'm honest. If I'm really honest. But God does not show favoritism. And I need to get in line with him. Perhaps you've heard the story of Jackie Pullinger. Jackie Pullinger was a young lady who, in 1966, left the UK for, well, who knows where, but ended up in Hong Kong. And God called her to get off the boat at that point. And God called her to work with drug addicts and prostitutes, and in particular with poor people in an area of Hong Kong called the Walled City. And over time, a church community was built. And she says that in this church community that was built in this city, there were lawyers... There were bankers, there were government officials, all worshipping Jesus beside addicts and triad gang leaders and ex-prostitutes because the gospel is for everyone. And Jackie knew that. It's for everyone. This good news that God is putting everything right. And that includes all the rubbish, all the failures, all my disobedience, God's putting it right. The good news that Jesus has dealt with all that on the cross when he died, taking the punishment so that you and I don't have to. The good news that now we can receive forgiveness and live a life with God. This is wonderful good news. This is gospel news. This is, this is what it felt like when one of our community groups just last week went with a load of games, a load of burgers, a barbecue, some camping chairs and set up on a small park in an estate in Middlesbrough just to get to know the people living there. 
And this is what I love about the team who did that and set it up. Because we can say that the gospel is for everyone, but then never purposely get involved with anyone. If the gospel is for everyone, we get to know someone. The ones and the twos around us. So the gospel is for everyone. Um, If anyone's taking notes, that's point one. The gospel is for everyone. I'm lacking points this morning. But the gospel is enough. What is it that Cornelius needs? It's the good news of Jesus. Or or as um, Peter says in verse 36, the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. See, shortly what would happen, and we read about it in Acts, is that the conversion of the Gentiles, of non-Jews, would cause a dispute. In, and growth often causes disputes. Um, but it would cause a dispute in this new Christian community. And Peter would have to defend what he had seen. And he says this in chapter 15, verse 2 of Acts, when he's defending what he's seen, where all these people are saying, well, actually, what are we going to tell these these, these new converts, what are we going to tell them they have to do? What do we have to tell them they're going to be like? Are they going to have to get circumcised? Are they going to have to um, be like this? Are they still going to have to um, go to the temple at these times, on these days? Peter says this, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we're saved, just as they are. See, Cornelius seems like a good man. He's a man who prayed, He's a man who gave to the poor. But he still needed to hear the good news of Jesus. That Jesus could make him right with God. Not his prayers, primarily. Not his giving to the poor, primarily. No, no. Faith in Jesus could make him right with God. Perhaps you're new to Jubilee and you might think, they go on about Jesus a lot. And how we can kind of be accepted with God through his work on the cross. Well, that's because we so often forget it. We do. We're forgetful. We forget it. And we add stuff to it. The message becomes Jesus plus good behaviour. Jesus plus attendance on Sundays. Jesus plus kind actions. Jesus plus church giving. You know, we want all those things to flourish in Jubilee. But don't think that you can add them to Jesus' work. They won't save you. Again, verse 43. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. It's going to be an issue for the Gentile Christians. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to add this to the gospel. No, no. Jesus is enough. If we believe in him, we receive forgiveness of sins in his name. See, what are you trying to add to Jesus' good news right now? If I don't pray this morning, if I don't read my Bible this morning, I'm going to be less loved by God today. We often may not explicitly think it, but it's there in in our minds somewhere. That thought crosses our mind when we're laid in bed. If I don't get out of bed, God's going to love me less because I haven't picked up my Bible. 
haven't prayed. Look, you might be less joyful. You might be less prepared for the day. But you're no less accepted and righteous before God. Because the gospel is enough. How about this? I was horrible today to that person. Do you know, tomorrow I'll have to make sure I'm nice to someone, really nice to someone, because then it will cancel out how I was today with that person. Listen, the gospel isn't karma. It's grace. Don't even as I say that, though, confuse discipline with uh, legalism and adding to the gospel. See, you can, you can discipline yourself and say, do you know, because I know God loves me, because I know God's for me, do you know what, I'm going to get up this morning and pray because I want to be with him. I want to live for him today and therefore I'm going to discipline myself this week to get up or discipline myself to put some time aside to pray and read. I'm going to discipline myself in how I act with that person. That's good. That's discipline. It's not legalism. It's not adding to the gospel. It's actually living out the gospel. Okay, finally, the gospel uh, brings joy. See, God the Holy Spirit comes on Cornelius and his friends and they speak in other languages and praise God. We saw a little bit of that this morning. There's a sense of praise. So that tongue came and those interpretations came. What's happening? Well, actually, it's the same thing that happened at Pentecost. Do you see? Very similar. These Cornelius and his friends are encountering the joy and the freedom and the delight that God the Holy Spirit brings. And here, it's immediate. It's kind of like an instant act, isn't it? It's kind of like it happened. Peter's speaking and suddenly, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit falls on them. There's no praying for them. There's no laying hands on them. And most, most kind of Bible commentators who have kind of studied this say that is most likely to show to Peter that he can have no question that God has done this. God has sovereignly acted at this moment on Cornelius and his relatives and friends. Paul, Peter can't say, oh, well, I did it, or you know, perhaps I engendered it. No, God's done it right here and there. Listen, that may be how you received the Holy Spirit. You may have had someone pray for you to receive the Holy Spirit. You may have had an experience, maybe over days, a gradual experience of receiving God, the Holy Spirit, and knowing, you know, I'm loved forevermore. I'm experiencing that God loves me and that I'm filled with his Spirit and with his power. So that's the thing with the Holy Spirit. We can't box him into our formula. And if we try, we get ourselves into all sorts of mess. We can't box him. But know this, we do know this. God wants to fill you and I with his Holy Spirit. And keep filling us. Keep, and keep filling us. Why? Because there's a mission. Because there's a mission. And the Gentiles had the same mission as the Jews. They were to be a light to the nations. They were to proclaim this gospel message. So they needed the same power and the same source of joy as the Gentiles, as the Jews needed. It's the same mission. Hey, we've got the same mission. And we need that same power, that same sense of God's presence with us. 
that as we go out into the places we live, as we do stuff together, we know I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a long story, isn't it? It's one of those long stories that God, the Holy Spirit, fills his people here. And he's, do you know what? Still filling you and I today. Empowering us to live for him in the places we find ourselves. And he fills us for joy as well. Because joy comes from God. Joy comes from knowing you're loved, knowing you're accepted. And this is what Cornelius and his friends experience. They suddenly experience this joy and they're speaking in tongues and praising God. Let me just finish by illustrating this joy that comes from God by two films that I watched about two different men from the 1800s. This was just last month, and uh, it was two consecutive evenings. I watched two different films about two different men from the 1800s, born at, uh, within, a very, uh, within a very short time frame of one another. One in America and one in Europe. The first was based on the life of P.T. Barnum, the, the great showman and entertainer uh, in America. The greatest showman on earth. Has anyone seen this film? Wow. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's actually a really good film. It's fun, it's vibrant, it's joyful. It's a great film. It's the big fi- one of the big films of the moment. The second film you may not have seen, unless you were at God's Big Picture, and that was The Life of George Muller, a man who set up orphanages for probably over 10,000 children um, around the Bristol area, but really much further as well um, in this nation. And The Greatest Showman is really the Hollywood version of P.T. Barnum's life in more ways than one. You know, it probably leaves out a lot of the controversial stuff and focuses on the stuff that makes a good film. Um, And there's loads and loads of good messages in there, really positive messages, but it kind of more focuses on some of his acts, you know, the Siamese twins, the the bearded lady, uh, the uh, wolf boy, um, the heaviest man in the world, his stage acts that he had. And there's one subtle message in that film that I think is really interesting. Uh, and, and it's kind of, I think it's Hollywood more than Barnum. Uh, and it's this message that, do you know, at the end of the day, we're all different. But do you know what? Find happiness and joy in who you are. No one can tell you who to be. You get to decide. Make a world around you. As the, as the title song of the film, This Is Me, says... There's nothing I'm not worthy of. And it says, um, uh, I'm marching to the beat I drum. See, that sort of message of the film is joy will come from being true to yourself. Become your own saviour. See, the message of George Muller of that film was very different. Actually, Muller as well became quite an international star. Uh, but he never thought that joy would come from within him. He never thought that joy would come from understanding what he'd achieved or who he was or his own strength. No, no, for Muller, he discovered that joy would come from God, not from within. 
Listen, this is what George Muller said famously. According to my judgment, the most important point to be attended to is this. You think, okay, important point. He thinks this is the most important point. Above all things, see to it that your souls are happy in the Lord. Other things may press on you. The Lord's work may even have urgent claims on your attention. But I deliberately repeat, it's of supreme and paramount importance that you should seek above all things to have your souls truly happy in God himself. I love that. Do you see the difference? One Hollywood film saying, joys from within. Decide for yourself what your identity is and be happy in it. And one saying, no, no, joy is from God. Find your identity in him. Find your identity in Christ. You'll be truly happy and full of joy. See, this is the joy that the gospel brings. This is the joy that is hauled out to everyone. The gospel is for everyone. This is, the, this is the joy news that can't be added to. That we can't kind of clump things to to make it better. This is the joy news of God that we hold out to the world. That you and I have been called to share in the power of the Spirit. Let's stand and respond to Jesus this morning. Lord Jesus, we... We thank you that we have one message. It's a joyous message. And it's that forgiveness, kindness, joy, strength, favor is found in you. Thank you this is the message that we hold out. Thank you this is the message that we've come to encounter, come to know, that's transformed our lives. And Lord, I ask, would you, by your Spirit, come and empower your people this morning so we might be able to hold out that message to those around us. Spirit of God, come and fill us this morning. As you filled Cornelius and his relatives, so you're still filling your people, immersing them in power and joy. Come and fill your people this morning for all that is ahead of us, for all that may be in store this week, this month. Come and fill your people. Come, Lord.